Hey there, listeners. Welcome to Horror Movie Club, the show where two dudes who aren't quite nerds but not quite noobs choose a horror movie each week to rate and review. I'm Ashvin, and I'm on the phone with Brian. And this week, we're going to be talking about the 2023 film Insidious The Red Door, directed by Patrick Wilson and starring Patrick Wilson, Rose Byrne, Ty Simpkins, and Sinclair Daniel. In this film, a young man's freshman year at college is off to a rocky start when he is reminded of some traumatic events of his childhood. If you are new to our show, Brian and I are going to have a spoiler-free discussion for the first 10-15 minutes, then we'll take a quick break, you'll hear some music, and then we'll come back and we'll hit the plots and the spoilers and get into our review. Brian, uh, we've been on the Insidious bus now for, I think, like the last month or two. We did one episode on Insidious 1, we did a Patreon on Insidious 2, this is the fifth and supposedly final installment of this series. Uh, so going into this now, what were your expectations? What were you looking for to conclude the storyline of, of this franchise? Based on our reviews of the first and second film, my expectations were just very middle of the road. I was like, I expect nothing but to be fairly entertained throughout the movie, but not to think it's not to be wowed by it. Uh, and that was after Insidious 2 went down this wacky road. And yeah. it's like, okay, if we're back to that story, we're going to conclude it. I'm not expecting a great story. I'm just expecting some fun jump scares, some creepy imagery, and just like a popcorn movie is basically what I expected. How about you? Yeah, I think that's right. I think you look at the franchise, fun jump scares, uh, some kind of popcorn movie is kind of like the direction it's gone in. I do feel like Insidious 1 and 2 raised a lot of questions, and those two were like themselves were such different films. I was kind of looking for some closure on like who the Red Demon is, or what's the deal with like the red lights, or the red door. Uh, so I, I was looking for some answers in, in this closing one. It's also hard that we didn't see part... Well, I haven't seen part three and four, have you? No, I have not. But from what I understand, they're prequels and not necessary to understand this story, I believe. If they okay. are, I didn't really feel like I was particularly missing anything. I think these are the only two you really need. No way. Okay, got it. That makes sense. Uh, yeah, I, I, I would be interested in like going back and seeing those someday. Uh, it's hard to imagine... like. I mean, they're building like a whole universe here, it seems like, uh, a storyline that stretches over generations and people. Yeah, I do want to go check those out. And who knows, maybe we'll have a listener who comes and says, oh, three and four were necessary <laughs> to understand this part of, of the Red Door. But yeah, um, we did have, I think Tyler on Discord had seen a couple. And from what I understood from him, I don't think we were really missing anything integral to this movie. Okay, got it. And yeah, as you mentioned, part three and four go back in time. And then, uh, yeah, so chronologically goes part three, four, one, two, and then this one, correct? Yes. And 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 as far as years of release go, I'm contractually <laughs> obligated to read all the franchise. Insidious came out in 2010. Insidious Chapter 2 came out in 2013. Insidious Chapter 3 came out in 2015. Insidious The Last Key in 2018. And now The Red Door in 2023 it was reported in may of 2023 that there is a sixth film in development what but like you said it is kind of the end of this franchise i think they buttoned up this story yeah uh this is more of an offshoot it's called thread an insidious tale that is oh. a spin-off 
starring Mandy Moore and Kumail Nanjiani. Oh my God! Wow. Yeah, it, it was uh, in the trailer for this one. It keeps like t- uh, talking like, "Oh, it's the final chapter. It's gonna bring this all to an end." But I, I feel like that's not Hollywood. Like they never let something that's like making money ever. And so it, it, this one kind of sounds like a spinoff. Then. Yeah, yeah, I think it'll be a spinoff. And yeah, we all know that there was the last Friday and Freddy's Dead. It, yeah. Whenever something says it's the last one in a horror <laughs> franchise, there's really no requirement for it to actually be the last one. It hasn't but happened I, yet. I have a feeling they'll stop. Okay. I, at yeah. least stop with this family. Yeah. Okay. I, I'm, I'm curious because uh, I, I feel like this is all like James Wan's legacy. Um, you said the first one came out, was it 2011? 2010. 2010. Okay. So like we're 13 years into this franchise, five films. Um, and yeah, the landscape of horror has changed so much. I feel like back in 2010 and 2011, like James Wan was killing it with Conjuring, Insidious, um, and yeah, Saul was going on, which he'd kind of walked away from. Uh, and now like he's just kind of in a producer role for most of these movies and Conjuring also seems like it's slowing down. Do you think this guy, uh, has much more, uh, growth when it comes to horror? Like he's going to, his name's going to like stay this big as, as it was like 10 years ago? It'll be interesting to see how his career moves forward. I wouldn't be surprised if he just starts taking on more films that are not horror, um, like Aquaman, and I think he had a couple other big ones that weren't horror recently. One of the Fast and Furious movies, I think he did. Oh, one. probably. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, and The Conjuring's still going, even though it may not be going quite as strong, but last, I think it was just last year, or maybe the year before, we got The Conjuring 3, the yeah. Nun 2 comes out this fall, so right. I think these things will live on, not necessarily in their main storylines, but through random offshoots. There's always ideas yeah. in the hopper here. Sure. Another Annabelle or some kind of uh, twist off that. Exactly. I, I know they talked about a Crooked Man movie at some point. They've right. talked about a crossover with Sinister for the Insidious franchise, so yeah, they'll keep finding ways, I think. Yeah, a part of me after watching this, and and I guess even going into this, was wondering, is the age of like James Wan horror and like uh, the supernatural, the jump scares, that like whole pretty serious horror? I kind of feel like I, it feels a little bit outdated now. Like, can you keep these franchises and that style of horror alive, or like are we moving into like a new genre of horror where it has to be like more self-aware, uh, funnier potentially? Um, more like surprising like do I, I don't know like do you get excited when you think about like the nun coming out this fall or if you hear about like another Annabelle movie or something or conjuring film like you don't feel like these are outdated a little bit I think you got a great point I do think they're a little bit dated I think that horror fandom is now into yeah either something more self-aware or some sort of flipping the genre on its head or something ultra serious and in, in the wave of these a24 movies oh yeah but i think there will always be a place for this type of movie because it gets butts and seats it brings in fans that are not horror diehards that just want to see something thrilling and exciting at the theater on friday night and i think there will be more i think juan himself by the way juan didn't direct this movie even though we're talking so much about him but yeah this is his baby this franchise i could see juan going down a path with horror of just little like um what am, what am I like pet projects like something he's like I don't know if people will like this but I really want to do it like malignant type stuff oh, where he's yeah. just like I got a wacky idea and I'm fucking doing it because I yeah. can I'm James Wan right. I wouldn't be surprised if we see more of those as he ages and just you know that the quality maybe trails off 
and right. he's just following his his passion, which is be cool to see what else he comes up with. Yeah, I hope so. I hope he, I hope he keeps uh, doing those every now and then. Like that, that, that was like kind of fun and unexpected. And uh, you also have like Lee Wanell tied to this film and like this franchise, and he did some amazing stuff with uh, the Invisible Man. Um, he might has, be the director to watch of this group. Yeah. Okay. And, and Patrick this. Wilson possibly. Ooh. Okay. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and Juan. Um, oh shoot! I lost what I was going to say. Oh, you asked me if I was excited for the Nun too. Yes, I am. But yeah, I think that my cap with some of these movies is just like a three point five. Like none <laughs> yeah, of them's going to be like a four or a five. Right. But I still look forward to that shallow form of entertainment. Yeah, I think you're right. There's like a consistency to this brand that you can uh, yeah. you can like depend on. And it, it is it is fun to catch these in theaters and like uh, yeah the none too like the trailer have you seen that one yet? I haven't watched the trailer no and I don't intend to. Oh okay yeah I mean it looks like it's it's gonna be fun but uh, I think I think you're right like these stories are kind of like uh, I, to me like feel very like 2010s ish shaped horror in a big way and and yeah people loved it and it, it tore up the box office but I wonder how much longer uh, th- that's gonna be the case for and then yes yeah, it'll be fun to see yeah. And then speaking of uh, directors, yeah, you're right. This is uh, Patrick Wilson's first time directing. He's been he's been in all the Insidious movies, right? Or was he in three and four? Um, I'm not sure. I can't yeah. remember. If he was, it was probably just a little cameo. But right. I'm not sure if he was. Okay. Yeah, he was definitely like a star of one and two, and so now he's back in this one and he's directing it. Surprising move. Like, uh, is that how it goes usually? If you act in a few movies, you get to be the director on the third one. I feel like we've seen things like that happen before. Okay, Um, where an actor like takes over the franchise. Yeah, or you know, a director that's worked with an actor quite a bit becomes a producer, and they already have a relationship with that actor who wants to direct, and and you know they make that happen. So sure. Yeah, I'm not totally surprised. Boy, Patrick Wilson's kind of a triple threat in this one, actually, because he he directs. Um, he stars in it, and then the song that plays, the first song <laughs> in the end credits, is a song by a band called Ghosts, where he is singing the the lead vocals. Dude, was that terrible? <laughs> How cheesy was that? Um, yeah, that was pretty cheesy. I could <laughs> yeah. recognize instantly that it was his voice. Could you? Oh, you could. Yeah. Oh, I like walked out. It just like sounded so bad. <laughs> I can't listen to this. Oh, you missed the stinger. <laughs> oh man, yeah. All right, yeah, yeah. There was like a, a last scene, right? Yeah, there was, but it's not nothing worth staying for. Okay, unlike this song. Um, yeah, I it's it's interesting. Yeah, he, he directed it, and as we go through the plot, I mean, I, I think there's a, a um, an element of like you can tell like he's trying to be center stage here and on this one, um, and I, I think uh, what's that called when you direct something and you make yourself the star of it? Uh, Selfishness. Selfishness. <laughs> yeah, go. exactly. Yeah, and then sing, singing the, the the closing song is really funny. So, uh, yeah. You know, I don't mean to, I don't want to besmirch Patrick Wilson. I don't know that it makes him an egomaniac or anything just for directing this one and starring in it. I mean, he's the star of the franchise. He, he needs to be in it. Sure. But yeah, to sing the song at the end there, it's a maybe it's a little too much Patrick Wilson. Yeah, yeah, and and in some elements of the storyline, uh, you can tell like someone likes this guy, uh, but yeah, interesting. I guess, yeah, we'll discuss that in detail, I'm sure, as we get going here. Right. So uh, the story is by Lee Winnell, but the screenplay is by 
a guy named Scott Teams, who wrote your favorite Halloween, Halloween Kills. Yeah, yeah. He wrote, wrote <laughs> Halloween Kills in 2022's Firestarter remake, ah, uh, which did not get good reviews. So Right, right. Yeah, uh, not, not maybe the the most critically acclaimed uh, portfolio of screenplays there from Scott Teams. Yeah, yeah, right, right. Um, and yeah, speaking of critics' reviews, I mean, this one only has like 34% right now in Rotten Tomatoes, um, but audiences seem to like it. It's at 71% audience, so a little more positive there. I think as we talked about in Insidious 1 and 2, yeah, you have this like same group of people uh, coming back even on the music. You've got Joseph Bashara back, which is uh, great to see. Um, and then, yeah, you were mentioning the crossover. There's a potential talk of a crossover with Sinister. What do you, what do you think that would have looked like? I really don't know, but I think it was... My perception is it was a throwaway comment by Jason Blum in 2018, five years ago now. Yeah. And it's just like they, people put it everywhere. You know, it's uh, like yeah. all over the internet. And I think it's probably not going to happen. And maybe it was just a half cocked idea. And it's getting a little more attention than it deserves. But sure. I have no idea how that would, would work. But uh, I guess I could think of some explanations. But I don't want to spoil Sinister by. Sure. Um, but you mentioned Joseph Bashara, and we talked about Patrick Wilson pulling triple duty. Bashara is again pulling double duty. He composed all five films in the series and appeared as the lipstick demon in all five films. So. Oh, yeah, I forgot. He's lipstick demon. Yeah, man. That's yep. wild. And then as far as getting the old gang back together, Ty Simpkins, who plays Dalton Lambert, is basically the main character in this movie, and then Andrew Astor, who plays Foster Lambert, they are the children who were in Insidious 1 and 2. Yeah. As, that's really cool. I, I think it's so surprising that you would, almost every franchise just gets a different adult to play someone right. who's aged that much and changed in their appearance. But it's cool. It's still them, and, and you can tell. Um, yeah. That is really neat. You know, It's rare you see that. And I think, I think Ty Simpkins, uh, he's kind of like a, a serious actor now. He's doing a lot of work uh, outside of the Insidious franchise. Okay, which nice. I, I didn't realize that. Um, and wait, when you talked about Joseph Bashara being the Red Demon, I don't think the Red Demon was in Part Two, was he? Um, boy, that's a good question. It, it says he he's got a credit as the Lipstick Demon in in Part Two, but hmm. yeah, I don't really remember seeing him. Maybe it's just a flashback. Okay. Maybe, yeah. and that could be the case for three and four as well. Maybe he's okay. not featured prominently. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, someone can correct us on that if, if they've seen three and four. Right. Um, and then other old gang members, Lynn Shea has a cameo here, Lee Wanell as Specs, Angus Simpson, or Samson as Tucker. Yep. Steve Coulter as Carl, my as favorite Carl character. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, cool to see the whole gang back together. Um, doing doing this uh, supposedly last one. I was really surprised even Rose Byrne uh, showed up for this one. Uh, I, I figure like she's got like a lot of more interesting projects going on. And then some some new names like Sinclair Daniel, who I you know I didn't recognize her. I think is it Hema Boss? Uh, is that how you pronounce it? The, the teacher. Other, the teacher. Right. I don't know how to pronounce that. Okay. Uh, she has also been uh, in a lot more work lately. Like she was in Rami and then she's been in Succession most recently. So kind of cool person to plug in, even though it's like a pretty minor role. 
That's where I recognize her from, Succession. I, I don't even watch Succession, but I oh. catch some of it over my wife's shoulder from time to time. Yeah, you got to start watching it, man. It's a, it's, a, it's a really funny show. I Yeah, I think it's funny. It's yeah, it looks good. It's a, a specific kind of funny. Exactly. Uh, did you talk about the box office yet? Uh, not yet. You want to talk about it? Yeah. Can I talk about it? You can talk about it. <laughs> All right. Uh, so it was made on a budget of $16 million. So far, I guess I got this stat as of Sunday night. You might have a more up-to-date figure, but $64 million, uh, as of Sunday night on its opening weekend. Is that what you had? That's what I have, yeah. It topped the box office uh, for the second-best opening weekend of the franchise after Insidious Chapter 2. Hmm. Um, and these movies, they all made a lot of money, even 3 and 4. $100 million for the first one, $162 million for the second one. 113 million for the third, 168 for the last key, which was the fourth one. And then with this 64 million, that brings us like over 600 million dollars total for this Across franchise. The franchise. Yeah, that's incredible. Yeah, pretty cool. This Never, is the, none of them made on that high of a budget. 16 million with, for this movie is the highest budget. Yeah, that is the most expensive Insidious film. I was amazed looking back at the first one, the budget was only 1.5 million. Yeah. That's such a crazy. I don't know. That that one was uh, so well done and well produced. It's crazy to think that was like almost like one eighth or one sixteenth of uh, the cost of this film. Yeah, and it's funny because Insidious Two almost seems cheaper, like right. it, it, in its <laughs> yeah. feel and look. But they go to so many different locations, and oh yeah, it's much more complicated and complex movie. Yeah, but I don't know. It, it's an interesting thought experiment. And well, does bigger budget mean? Better movie, better effects. Insidious had more atmosphere than in Chapter 2 did, in my opinion, because it was all in one location. Oh, yeah, right. And they it just was... focused on making that location creepy. Yeah, I think that's something we noticed with Insidious 2 was very, like, uh, ambitious and, like, went kind of more into, like, a detective story with police investigation a little bit. Um, I'm curious, like, to see how this one feels compared to Insidious 1 and 2. Because um, I, I think yeah, I think you're right. That was the strength of Insidious One, just how focused it was in one place on one family and one character. Yeah, and you know I'm I'm oversimplifying. Look, oh, you go to more locations, it's more expensive. There's <laughs> it's a. I don't really know how movie budgets work. B. I would guess everyone wants a little bit more money to come back for the second one. Uh, you know, there sure. could be mul- multiple factors, even inflation. Inflation, yeah, for sure. Yeah, 1.5 million in uh, 2010 or 11 could be 16 today. It wouldn't be 16 today, but I wouldn't be surprised if it was like Ten. double today. Oh, double. Okay, yeah, yeah. Probably not. I have no idea what I'm talking about, but Econ- I, I could economics. see it being a, a significant jump. Yeah, sure, sure. That's fair. Any other background to hit on this one? Um, No, I think maybe I'll just transition away from me, who has no idea what he's talking about, to Alex, who always knows what he's talking about as he connects every movie we watch to our home state of Ohio for us. Let's do it. Alex owns the Jukebox Bar and Restaurant in Cleveland, Ohio, so if you're in the Northeast Ohio area, you gotta check it out. It's a great place. And Alex says, Insidious the Red Door is a supernatural horror film directed by its lead actor, Patrick Wilson, in his directorial debut. It is a direct sequel to Insidious Chapter 2 from 2013, which we maybe didn't mention, guys. It goes 1, 2, 5 chronologically. 3 and 4 are are prequels. I I guess we did mention that, but just to hammer that home. Mm -hmm. Um, And the fifth installment in the Insidious franchise, he says. Wilson began his career starring in Broadway musicals, receiving Tony Award nominations for his roles in The Full Monty and Oklahoma. 
He went on to co-star in the acclaimed HBO miniseries Angels in America, for which he was nominated for a Golden Globe Award and a Primetime Emmy Award. His best-known film roles include The Phantom of the Opera, Hard Candy, Watchmen, and The Conjuring Universe. In 2016, Wilson starred with Jessica Biel in the mystery thriller film A Kind of Murder, which was principally filmed in Cincinnati, Ohio. Cool. That's awesome. Yeah. I like a good uh, actually. Way to go through Patrick. He's such an integral part of the movie. He is, yeah, yeah. And and this whole franchise. Yeah. And uh just like Jessica Beale. Cool. Good good connection there. Thanks, Alex. All right. Well, are you ready to then to jump to the plot and uh hit some of the spoilers and review the film? Let's do it. All right. Hey, before we do though, uh do you mind if we take a quick break? I just gotta use the restroom really quick. Yeah, go for it. Great, I'll be right back. Hey, Brian, sorry about that. I'm back. Hey, hey, yeah. Hey. Welcome back. So, thanks. Yeah, so, sorry it took a little bit longer. There was a ghost of a frat kid hanging out in the bathroom, and uh, yeah, it's just been rough. He's, he's always in there, always leaves a mess every time. It's, it's just becoming a, a real nuisance. Uh, these fucking frat kids, man. I don't know what they eat. <laughs> Trying to intimidate you into bonging a beer. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Take a shot every time I'm in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, this, uh, yeah, th- that was an interesting detour of this film into, like, frathood this uh which yeah it'll be interesting to talk about yeah um, probably an un- unnecessary detour <laughs> yeah <laughs> i agree so th- this movie kicks off actually with the final scene that we saw in insidious 2 where josh who's played by patrick wilson and his son dalton have their memory of the events of the first two films erased by the psychic named carl is he a psychic is, is that what you would consider him a medium is what Carl prefers to be called. Oh, sorry, Carl. <laughs> and or plumber. <laughs> yeah, medium slash plumber, depending on the day. <laughs> oh, man, he could come up with, like, so many great slogans that would, like, hit both of those needs. Like, oh, I can't think of any good ones I know now, what's in your but... pipes or something. Or... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know what's clogging you up. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so... In case uh, we as the viewer have any doubt that his uh, hypnotism or like his ability to make people forget their events uh, doesn't work, uh, we quickly then jump nine years into the future where Josh's mom has just died and he runs into Carl at the funeral, but he has no memory of who Carl is. So this guy that we saw five minutes ago who did this mind erasing trick, turns out it works, uh, very like men in black type of thing. We also learn since the last film, which was nine years ago, Josh and his wife Renee have now split up and Josh is kind of a mess. Uh, Dalton is like this moody, angsty teenager who's like really obsessed with art. And the opening ends with Josh texting Dalton to say, hey, I can drive you to college because he's about to go start college. And we see a blurry figure uh, approaching Josh's vehicle from behind that I think disappears suddenly uh what'd you you think of this opening hey man i just discovered a plot hole that i didn't discover while i was watching yeah so carl in the opening scene carl erases their memory from the past year or from the yeah right but josh has been haunted by this thing since he was a young kid 
Yeah. Oh, but wait. His memory was erased <laughs> back then. It was. And then it was erased as an adult. So he... Yeah. He's been through this Okay, so he, he... His memory... <laughs> his discovery of the memory of his childhood... <laughs> Happened in that year where his memory got erased. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. All right. <laughs> I guess that's airtight as far as this franchise goes. So never mind. No, no hole. Yeah. So in part one, he's told that he was brainwashed, like his memory was erased. And then at the end of part two, his memory gets erased right of, of the previous year. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> this guy's yeah. always getting his memory erased and then told, hey, yeah, your memory was erased. Exactly. Yeah. Um. So, yeah. What did I think it is? I actually... Liked it a decent amount. It, it, it didn't bother, like, trying to be spooky right away. It just was like, hey, here's the family that you have been on board with for the first two movies years ago. Here's where they're at. And uh, it makes sense to me. It We joked in our Insidious 2 Patreon episode that we thought it was silly that I can't remember if it was Juanel or Juan who said this one's way more grounded oh, than the right. first one because we we're like no it's fucking not <laughs> this one I do think is kind of grounded it's basically like hey this family went through something awful and then had their memories wiped two of them did what's that gonna look like in 10 years and the answer is not very good it tore their family apart mm. Josh really especially does not get along with Dalton and he just is feeling foggy he's they don't get into that yet, but he's struggling to to just, like, maintain the relationship with his family, and he doesn't even quite know why. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought that was actually a pretty interesting place to take this movie, but what do you think? Yeah, it's definitely a much more serious vibe than we've seen in the last two. And even the opening, I think part two opened a similar way, where it starts with the scene of, like, uh, the last scene of part one. So cool to see them kind of repeat that. But I don't know, like uh, the, starting off like so serious and so solemn at a funeral for like a mother that like wasn't even a main character. And uh, I, I, you know, my complaint with part one and two is I don't even like this family that much except for uh, Renee, the, the mother and uh, like Josh and, and Dalton. Like, yeah, they're basically assholes to each other, like distant from each other. And we're trying to like get grounded in their characters and their relationship and dynamic in this opening scene. Um, it felt like I didn't really care too much about either of them to uh, yeah understand like the weight of this scene. But I agree with you like the the subtle creepiness of the figure behind them. I appreciated that. It wasn't like a big jump out scare in the beginning. It was more kind of like a, a warm induction to like some creepy things are coming. Uh, I, I thought it was a nice way to set it up. I, I could have used it a, a little bit less uh, serious. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I wish it would have been like a little less dramatic or serious. And I did think it kind of made the audience feel dumb by showing that flashback and then showing him running into Carl like five minutes later just to confirm like what we already knew is that he, he forgot about all this stuff. I think it was pretty stupid of Carl to like not wait a little bit longer to go pay his respects. <laughs> He's like, oh, Josh is 100 yards away. I can go over there. It's, oh, damn it, he looks. The coast is clear. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Yeah, him sneaking around at funeral is kind of funny. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, hey, man, I just realized in, in mentioning that Patreon episode on Insidious 2. We've got some Patreon shoutouts I forgot to do at the top of this show. So real quick, thank you to Bentley L, Alex B, Allison, Brittany M, Will W, Michael D, and Everything Stinks. <laughs> Hopefully you're feeling a little bit better about life than yeah. when you made that username, Everything Stinks. Um, 
I, I disagree a little bit here, man. I, I think that even though I said at the top of the show, oh, I love the, I don't love, but like the cheap scares of these movies, they're entertaining for what they are. But it's the third film in the franchise. My complaint with Insidious 2 was that we didn't focus on the family enough. Um, Grandma was a pretty big main character in that Insidious 2, by the way, before was you she? go saying she wasn't a main character. Yeah. yeah. She, we, that was one of my complaints, that we spent too much time with her. Uh, oh, she was on like the detective hunt, right? She was like part the, of the, yeah, the team. Oh, yeah, and there was a whole backstory, like a lot of this was like a patient that she treated. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. I forgot about that. Um, but I thought it was good to like say, hey, let's let's square up, focus on the family again, where it all started. Um, so I appreciated a more serious intro to this one and a less salacious, salacious may not be the right word, but yeah, Insidious started with like some very creepy imagery that just didn't even make sense. It was just like a montage to scare you. Right. And I'm glad that we've kind of matured beyond that here and we're ready to just take a take a good hard, hard look at the family. Yeah, I agree. I, I think it, it definitely sets the tone right away that this is going to be a family drama, which apparently you're into those. And <laughs> I don't go to horror films for those generally. But Tell yeah, you yeah. what, man, a father-son dynamic lately has really been uh, <laughs> hitting, hitting me where it counts. <laughs> right. All right, all right. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, right away, this is a much different film than what we're used to. The characters are a lot more different. Uh, deeper supposedly and uh yeah there's something going on with them so josh uh drives dalton to school and it's kind of hard to like watch their relationship together uh they you know there's a lot of tension between the two of them dalton mentions that he's sensed his mother is keeping some kind of secret and uh both of both him and his father struggle with memory loss and like there's this whole year or, or two of their lives that they just don't remember at all which we as the audience know is because their memories were erased uh, things get weird when on Dalton's first day of art class, his teacher encourages him to dive inside of himself uh, to inspire his paintings. And when he does so, he suddenly finds himself drawing this image of a red door, which unbeknownst to him, I think it opens up a gateway into the further, which is the place he used to astral project himself into and unleashes evil spirits that have been locked away since the uh, brainwashing hypnotism that he went through nine years ago. Is that your understanding of, of what, what was happening here? Yeah, I think that he, like, looking that deep into himself, diving inside of himself, as you said, and painting physically the door, kind of, like, brought that door, like, back into his world, his reality, and the combination, I think, of painting the door and just accessing that deep of that deeper part of himself kind of let the further access him again. By the mm. way, you saying deep inside of himself make me think that Carl, as a medium slash plumber, might have the tagline, I know I know your clog is coming before you do, or something like that. <laughs> Predict clogs before Predicting, they happen. Yeah, exactly. Nice. <laughs> Man, he's got a lucrative <laughs> career here. <laughs> hey, why are you here? Yeah. <laughs> that feeling in your stomach is why I'm here. <laughs> exactly. What? And then he rolls his dice and it says diarrhea. <laughs> oh, apologies to the people who didn't listen to Insidious Part 2 Patreon episode. Some of these jokes are kind of inside jokes from that. Yeah. But we joked about Carl having the name that sounded... A good name for a plumber, but not a good name for a medium. 
Exactly. And then the dice joke you just have to see Insidious Part 2 to you get that. See Insidious 2, exactly. That makes sense. So yeah, it triggers something, and now I guess Dalton is now available. But I, I guess uh, it's more universal because as Dalton suddenly starts having these visions of ghosts, um, Josh also, his father, starts having the same visions. And uh, we, we get some fun like pop-out scares one is like Dalton at a frat party sees a ghost of like this frat brother who died and the ghost uh, is in the bathroom and then pukes on him. And then Josh is like in an MRI getting his brain examined because he thinks there's something wrong with his head. And in the MRI, he gets attacked by a, a, a ghost or something. Um, and then later on, he gets uh, attacked by one at home as well. Uh, what do you think of these scares that started kind of coming into the film? I thought some of them were pretty good. I thought the one in the MRI machine was pretty freaky and had some good misdirection, you know, and that's what these franchises have been good at. It's like, oh boy, the ghost is like coming from like over there and they play with the camera angles and you're like, all right, it's coming from up there. And then a whole new camera angle that we've never even seen comes into play and you're like, oh, the ghost is there. Yeah. Uh, Basically, he like looks up above his head and it, it's not there and then it, down at the bottom of the machine near his feet. Right. Which sounds pretty simple, but the camera work that went into that, I thought was really good and deceptive, and it made for a good jump scare. I was into some of the scares. I I think they went a little too hard on... Not hard on the the scares, just... um, I don't know. It's important to have these scares in these movies, but... Mm -hmm. This became like the plot at a certain point. It was just like, okay, now Josh sees something scary. Now yeah. come back to Dalton and he sees something scary. It served the purpose of letting us know, okay, the further is back, like the further is reaching out to them, whatever they forgot is like that didn't work anymore and now we're back in it. But they did it so many times it was just like, okay, we get it. Like go yeah. to the next plot point. So. Right. A little bit of a complaint about the pacing, I guess, but I thought the scares themselves were all pretty good. How about you? Yeah, I, I definitely agree. They, they get repetitive without there's so many. But I, I think uh, you bring up a really good point that, you know, yeah, jump scares aren't like the easiest thing to do and they, they can fail. But I thought like these were all like pretty consistent. The MRI, like the use of space and darkness in there and the figure coming really fast at him worked really well. I think there's a scene where this dude's in the art class and like something happens, something pops out or something, and it's a nice like jump scare. So you're getting like three, four of these. Even the the frat brother, uh, the the ghost, uh, like popping out on top of the bed and just puking on him. Uh, like oh yeah, yeah the, that was cool. That's another good. Yeah, th- that the Conjuring franchise has done that too. Like an under the bed misdirect when you're right. under a bed, you see feet. That was a good one. Okay, that was, that was maybe yeah. an unnecessary detour to go to the frat house, but that maybe <laughs> that scare made it worth it. Yeah, yeah. I think the scares work really well, and it's impressive the first-time director is, like, nailing these scares so well. But, yeah, you're right. They're almost, like, so many, and the plot isn't moving, like, fast enough where uh, yeah, another movie might have had, like, less and then, like, more mem- made them more memorable, like, uh, because you only saw, like, two or three really, like, great jump scares. But... Here, like you got an, a lot of them. The plot isn't moving. I feel like it's just both of them experiencing like these uh, events, and like yeah, we you're right. Like we get it. Like this is something. Something's going on. Yeah. Right. Right. And um, shout out to Autumn Eakin who who shot the movie. I feel like she. I assume that's a she. 
um, did a good job of like, I, I, I want to say imitating, but that, that sounds insulting, but these, f- both the Conjuring and Insidious franchise have a certain knack for the camera work around the scares. And I, I think, I mean that as a compliment and I think she did it well and made it feel like part of the franchise without just, you know, I feel like she was doing her own thing, but she made it feel natural to the franchise and and yeah. kept up with the the jump scares. Like they, I don't know if the jump scares were as great as some of the ones in, in the first Insidious and Conjuring movies, but they're they're in the ballpark. Right? Yeah, they're great and definitely on brand. They're really yeah, done really well. Um, oh, the other thing outside of the jump. So yeah, the jump scares are really well done. There's so many of them, but uh, they're fun. Um, the one other element that I was starting to really like here is uh like the scare similar to what we had in the opening where it's just like a figure in the back that like no one else on on the screen is like noticing and like you as the viewer like see it and i think we get like some cool mimics of that like throughout the film uh there's one like where he's uh trying to like jog his memory and he's playing like this game of memory on like a bunch of windows and every time he moves like a photo like we see like a figure in the background so it's kind of like that lee 1l thing of like where there's something like scary going on somewhere on the screen and like you as the viewer like holy shit i see that and like is, is he seeing that like i th- those got me pretty excited do you like those kind of scares i do i i, I kind of think of those as where's waldo scares it's like i know <laughs> i'm supposed to be looking for something i don't know where it's going to be next and i'm like tr- like my eyes are tracing every inch of the frame to find out like if it's that if it's there already and i just don't see it yet <laughs> exactly uh, yeah, that but- one was cool and that was integral to the plot really so Yep. Yeah, that one is. Uh, yeah, we'll talk about that here. So, yeah, as as uh, as these scary things are happening, Dalton figures out that he can now start astral projecting again in his sleep, which is what uh, he was kind of brainwashed to kind of forget about. And so he starts traveling into the further, and Josh, uh, after he gets attacked by a ghost, realizes that the ghost that was attacking him was actually his father, and he finds a box with some of his father's documents and learns that his father was uh, considered mentally unwell and had killed himself. And so now Josh, I think, is going through a struggle of, you know, he knows his memory is kind of scattered and his brain is kind of foggy. And uh, he's starting to realize that, oh, man, I might have this mental health issue that my father had. So he's kind of like going through this whole uh, mental health crisis on on his side. Um, Dalton finishes his painting, and he realizes that the painting depicts his dad from nine years ago when uh, his dad was possessed and when he was attacking the family with the hammer, which is what happened in part two. And so Dalton Astral projects himself back into the events of Insidious 2 to fight his possessed dad, but he finds himself trapped in the lair of the red-faced demon that we saw in Insidious 1. So uh, this kind of reminded me of like the moments in Insidious Two where like it intersects with the events of the first film. Did you you get those vibes? Yeah, and dude, remember how in Insidious Two we were like, oh, it's pretty cool that they went and like added in the elements to complete some things from the plot in the first one. Like, did they plan that the whole time? Right. They do that again here, right? I don't know if this happens here or at the end of the movie. I don't think it's a huge spoiler to say so, but. Adult Dalton, who's back there in time, astrally projecting, tackles his dad before he can hit little Dalton with a hammer. And when we were reviewed Insidious 2, we're like, 
I don't know exactly how he was stopped. Oh. Right? Like, we were like, yeah. what? why did that make Josh stop swinging the hammer? Oh, Just right. because of what I think the, Lynn Shay did in The Further yeah, or something like that. Yeah, they took down the mother figure in The Further. Yeah, right, yeah. right. They, they took down the mother figure in The Further, and we're like, well, why did that make Josh stop? This right. is why, because <laughs> oh, Dalton man. was back there. Yeah. Oh, Again, it's like... It's one of those things where it's like, I'm not sure how much that really matters, and that's still like a weird hole in the first, in the second movie. Right. But I kind of appreciate how they go back and add these things in, and it's like, oh, that makes the movie make even more sense. Yeah. It's cool they're consistent with doing that. Like, each each next film, like, answers something or, like, explains something from the previous film. They, they fill in some blanks you may not have even known were blanks. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that, that that is a really cool aspect of this, uh, that, yeah, we get to see the events of part two and from now from like present day viewpoint we see it's dalton tackling his father and then the two of them end up now in the lair of the red-faced demon meanwhile in the real world dalton uh because he's astral projecting a demon has now entered his body and is attacking dalton's one college friend chris uh so she is having a rough time in his room while possessed dalton is attacking her at the same time Josh is visiting his ex-wife to reveal to her that he's found out all the stuff about his dad and she tells him the truth about what happened, basically relaying the events of Insidious 1 and 2 to him and that he has this ability to astral project. So at this point he realizes that Dalton is in danger somewhere in the further and he astral projects himself to the red-faced demon's lair where he helps Dalton escape out of there while he holds a red door shut, uh, supposedly caging the demon in there. Uh, Dalton escapes back to his real body in the real world before his friend Chris uh, can be killed, so he saves Chris. Um, Then we here is where I think the ego gets in the way, where Josh is there holding the door, saying it ends with me, and the soundtrack goes to like his heartbeat basically, and it slows down and stops, and we think that he's now dead, and it just seems like he's like sacrificing himself to save his family and like being the, getting this hero's ending. But Dalton saves him by painting over his painting, which somehow uh, defeats the red door, and Josh is able to return from the further back to his own body. Um, so yeah, that was basically the, <laughs> a big chunk of the movie right there. But what did, what did you think of all? Was that convoluted for you at all? Um, not, not super convoluted. Also, Patrick Wilson didn't write the script, so it's not... Uh, okay. His, he doesn't take any responsibility for the character of Josh, like, sacrificing himself by holding the door shut. I think you read that script. He's like, oh, okay, I'll, I'll direct this for you guys. <laughs> I, I think <laughs> it makes sense. Yeah. yeah you yeah, make yeah. one small change. Exactly. I get to sing this. I'm a hero, and I get to sing. <laughs> yeah, Exactly. I get to. <laughs> that's probably why he sang in the Conjuring movies too. Um, Did he sing in the Conjuring movies? I think his mom was like a professional singer. Oh. His mother or father in real in life. In real life, Brian Wilson from. Uh, there you go. Was, that was the guy. Yeah. No, not Brian Wilson. Um, I think that made sense. The door seemed to have the painting of the door seemed to have some kind of power, and is what was essentially the impetus for. Dalton accessing the further again, or rather the further accessing Dalton. So it's kind of a jump in logic, but to me it kind of made sense that, okay, he's, he paints the door shut and and that closes up, closes things up. 
Mm. Okay. Yeah, and all like the di- interactions with the further made sense to you, like the fact that, um, yeah, as soon as like Dalton starts astral projecting, like it kind of like makes his dorm room into like this kind of scary place where they're constantly like spirits hanging around there, moving around, uh, and even like Josh now, like I, I guess I don't understand why like Josh was suddenly like seeing visions just because Dalton was having them. Father son connection, I guess maybe I'm not sure. Okay. Something in there, yeah. yeah. Okay, but yeah, I, I guess uh, the, yeah. I mean, then the, the only, I feel like the only person that was in real danger here was Chris, who is a new character, hasn't been in the previous films, and I, I thought she was like kind of a breath of fresh air to like kind of a very, very tense uh, and like yeah, rigid characters. Uh, I'm not sure if she like fit in with the rest of the film. What did you feel about her character? Yeah, she was good comedic relief. It, that felt like a very Blumhouse character, like this. Oh, like another Blumhouse movie. Yeah, yeah. It's a. Yeah. It's kind of a trope uh, in these Blumhouse movies a little bit. Just like the kind of cool, kind of funny, like comic relief character, but who's also kind of important to you as a character. Yeah. But that being said, I thought she did a good job. There were hints that there was like a romance budding there and I really wanted that to actually happen I I felt like that was a missed opportunity just because there's really not much going on in the movie like there is the emotional relationship I think they do a good job with the character of Josh they do a good job with the relationship between Josh and Dalton I think it's cool to see Josh be like, oh, I'm getting older. And he's 10 years older than the 13 years older than when they made the first film. So it's like, okay, you can see Josh is older now. And to see him wrestling with like what happened, like my family fell apart. I can't seem to connect things in my brain or make things happen the way I want them to. Now there's, I've just learned there's mental illness in my family. Am I going through this? That's a cool story arc for him, I think. It is. Do you think you think Patrick Wilson sells it effectively? I actually do. You and I disagree about him as an actor. I think, but I think he puts on a pretty good performance here. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I I feel like uh, I think it's convoluted because there's so many things going on. Kind of like Insidious Two, where you've got like two or three uh, events happening at the same time in different places. Josh and his struggle to like understand who he is and what's happened to him. Dalton, uh, same thing, but like in a different location. Uh, and then Renee kind of like, uh, carrying like the burden and even like Dalton's younger brother, uh, and like him having memories too. There's just like so much going on in different places at the same time that I think it kind of kills some of the momentum of like where you're supposed to be focused. And then to have like this finale sequence here, we're supposed to be like invested in Chris and like, holy shit, like scared for her, like with what's going on in the room. And then... Dalton, uh, Dalton, like just the way he's able to defeat the whole d- further with painting over the uh, painting. How do we know that it's actually going to work and like it's never going to come back again? Like, uh, I, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I just felt like a lot of this didn't really add up to me or, or make sense and we were stretched a little bit then. Yeah, I mean, any supernatural movie is going to have holes in the logic and what works and what doesn't and how do you defeat the thing or whatever. Yeah. I never get too concerned with that, but I actually feel the opposite of you. Like, I feel like this is the opposite of Insidious 2. That movie went all over the place, and the plot was like just 
kept adding more plot points. They discovered this. That takes them there. Oh, they discovered this. That takes them there. Stuff happens in this movie, but essentially all you need to know is the family is torn apart a bit. Josh and Dalton forget the further. They remember it again. It starts creeping up. Dalton gets possessed, and Josh has to go save him. He does. Then Dalton saves Josh. The movie ends happily. That's <laughs> all that happens. It's as simple as that. Right? It's as simple as that. <laughs> so the strengths of Insidious 2 to me that are the weaknesses of the Red Door. Like Insidious 2, I don't even know if it's a strength. Insidious 2 maybe like goes too many places. Hmm. But the Red Door doesn't go enough. Like there's it doesn't take us anywhere new or anywhere exciting in my opinion. Like the supernatural stuff, the further stuff, is the same old stuff again. Like, there was a stretch in there yep. where I was just like, we're going nowhere, man. Like, we're, we've been going nowhere fast for a long time. All we're doing is seeing new supernatural events that happen to each of these guys. Exactly. <laughs> but Insidious 2 failed to, like, hit the emotional stories of these characters. The Red Door, to me, succeeds in that. Like, it is on mm. an emotional journey with father and son, and it really hits that relationship. But aside from that, you know, the emotional the through line of the story is there. But like the events based plot is just like, who cares? Nothing's really happening. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, at the end of the day, this, this movie is about reminding two characters what the previous two movies were about, which like, <laughs> as an audience, like, it's like, come on, we've seen part one and two. This, this isn't interesting to us. Because, yeah, you're right. It doesn't add anything to the story. I mean, there's the one addition of now we know his dad had, like, the same ability. But that's not really a game changer. It adds a new dynamic. And uh, I, I think you bring a good, a good point. Like, yeah, it's, it's more of a character study versus I actually defend to. I, I like to because it does go so many places. It has, like, a whole nother story of, like, this uh, possessed murderer potentially and, like, his relationship with his mother and, like, how that's now, like, in play. Um, so it like brings in a whole new dynamic and element to the storyline. Here it's like the storyline has just stopped and we're just like focused on these two characters, which do you, you like Josh and Dalton? I don't like Dalton. I, I think that they could have more done more. They developed that relationship, but they didn't develop Dalton as a character. And I understand that the he's a moody teen, disinterested in his parents. Uh, but I'd like to learn more about him other than what we already know. He was in a coma, he's afraid of the dark because of that, <laughs> and he likes to draw. Like, yeah, exactly. we kind of knew that stuff. I, I, I thought, that's why I thought they should have just made the relationship with his friend Chris uh, romance. Like, there's no reason to go for nuance in this franchise with like, a, oh, they, you know, you think they're going to be romance, but they're just friends. Like, yeah. just give us that. I mean, it's a cheap popcorn <laughs> flick that... Instead, they waste time with, oh, here's another creepy thing happening to Josh. Oh, and then another one happens to Dalton. We get yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. So you you Just, don't need to take 40 minutes to tell us the further is creeping into their life again. Right. So maybe borrow a few of those minutes to uh, develop a, a bit of a, more of a story between Dalton and, and Chris. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if that's like what I felt like I was missing because like I felt like their relationship was so unbelievable. Like uh, Chris is a, a fun character. She obviously like has a personality versus like Dalton who's just like a dud and like really into his art, which, you know, this isn't even that great. Uh, I, I just felt like Dalton's like a, a loser. And uh, I, I don't know if I would have believed their relationship between those two, even though, I, yeah, I, I think Chris was like, I mean, there's a scene where like they kiss, right, when they're 
trying to keep cover when they're like breaking into a frat house. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know if that would have helped at all. I, I think what would have been more interesting is an Insidious 2 move where some more like new interesting dimension was, was revealed or we got more of like a background. Do you even know, like, I, I don't know who the Red Demon is yet. Do you? You sound like you would have fit in well at that fraternity. You're like, Dalton sucks his art stupid. He does. Your art sucks. <laughs> Get a real <laughs> hobby, man. <laughs> you guys didn't see it, but Ashwin crushed a can of beer on his forehead right before exactly. we started. Um, no, I, I, we didn't learn anything about the red demon, or the lipstick demon. Oh, yeah. Even though there was a moment where, where it kind of seemed like maybe you would. Um, it may not be super professional to quote another critic <laughs> well, I, <laughs> if I call, call myself a critic, but I feel like this quote from Megan Navarro from Bloody Disgusting is, is kind of pertinent to our conversation right now. She says, those hoping to learn more about the lipstick demon and the darkest corners of the further may come away disappointed. The Red Door isn't interested in the mythology, but instead in examining how its ghost fractured the family and whether their enduring love can make them whole again. Wilson reminds audiences why they fell for the Lambert family in the first place, debatable if we did, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. with a sentimental sequel that tenderly bids them farewell. While it doesn't mm. give us a sense of finality to the further or its ghostly inhabitants, it does offer poignant clues to the protagonist that started it all. Who Who's the protagonist? Is Wilson? Yeah, yeah. No, okay. Yeah. Um, maybe it's wrong of me to read that much of her review. It, people should go read her review on Bloody Disgusting. I really enjoy her reviews. But I, I think that's well said, yeah. I think that was well said. I think it's kind of what we <laughs> we were just trying to say through through argument. But I, it sounds like you don't really necessarily agree with her. But you see uh, the point. Yeah, I mean, I think she's right. Like, yeah, we, it doesn't answer any questions about the franchise or, or sure. the story, uh, what's going on. But yeah, focuses on the characters. I think my issue is I, I don't really like these characters. But uh, you'd rather learn more about the further than about the family. I think so. Yeah. How do you feel? I feel the opposite. I, I'm glad if we're with these characters for that long. Like, let's let's focus on them. I I do. I like Josh in this one. Actually, I, I find him to be pretty re- relatable, um, mm-hmm. because. I have that fear that, like, I never thought I'd be a dad who, like, wouldn't have a good relationship with his kids. I think I have a good relationship with my kids now. But parenting is way harder than I thought. Yeah. And it's not that hard for me to foresee a future where one or more of these boys, I got one in mind in particular, (laughs) wants nothing to do with me as he gets older. And, like, we just don't connect at all. And I could really see that. I can I can f- feel the feelings of what that would feel like, and I think that was depicted well in the script and through Patrick's performance. Yeah, uh, the distance and the role is playing on him. Uh, yeah, you can tell it like weighed on him. I guess though, if you take that angle and focus on that, what was the solution or the outcome? Is the way to get out of that going into the further and saving your son, and that's how you rebuild a father-son connection? Yeah, yeah. Basically, you got to do it through supernatural means. So I'm fucked if we uh, Basically, if things yeah. don't pan out here. <laughs> Start well, practicing. Yeah, but I mean, a part of that too was there are two things paralleling each other. I think the supernatural side of the story parallels the the grounded part of the story in which Josh is trying to get help. Like he goes to a doctor, he gets an MRI, he's he's calling his son periodically, leaving voicemails, even though he knows 
Dalton's not going to call him back and says, like, hey, like, I, I went, I got some things checked out. I, I just want you to know, like, I'm going to figure this out because it's basically like the conflict between them is like, why? Like, why can't you be better? And oh, yeah. he's kind of like, I think something might be like actually wrong with me and I'm going to go get help. Yeah. Because uh, I think Dalton says, like, have you ever thought about getting help at one point? Mm-hmm. So I think there's more than just the further that makes them their relationship succeed. He He takes the steps that he needs to do. And it's only through this, I think, that he even considers the possibility that he may have mental health illness in his family. Right. I think he probably would have found that out anyway because his dad was coming to him through the further, but... Right. But yeah, I, I think there's enough there to, to make it not feel so cheap. Yeah, I, I like that angle a lot. Like, there's this idea of you go through a traumatic experience together and you both have forgotten it and, like, the divide that creates. Um, and at the end, like, they, they, like, say these lines out loud, like, oh, it's important for us not to forget, but, like, remember these things or something. And then, yeah, the role of, like, generational mental illness, how that can be passed down. Uh, there are, like, some powerful themes, but I don't feel like they're executed effectively or maybe even they're uh watered down because like the supernatural element storyline kind of takes over and it becomes like this thing where he's saving his son in like this this uh fictional space place and and then that kind of diminishes the whole uh bonding and like overcoming a, a mental illness so i can't tell if it's like pro like be aware of like your mental health and like how it impacts relationships uh, or if it's like saying, yeah, you can have all these things, but it's really the supernatural things that are going to fuck your relationship up. And once you deal with those, you're okay. Well, I don't know, man. I think there's enough here that you could really, you could read a lot into it. And not only it's like, oh, you went and helped him in the further, but it's like they meet in the further and they're both like, oh, we just like unearthed the shared memory and the shared trauma from our past. Like, we're back here. It's been 13 years, and now we like both remember. We're finally both on the same page, and we can communicate again. Mm. There's also this, like, I know he was possessed, but the whole family is remembering that dad tried to enact violence on them. Like, Oh, right. Renee talks about how she had to tell the kids that was just a bad dream or something, that you remember dad with a hammer trying to hurt us. Like, that right. didn't really happen. Right. And dad's also like getting going to get mental health help. Like there's a, a allegory in here that this could truly be a man who abused his family in the past. Exactly. Because of a mental health spell and that just he he got over that, you know, maybe the forgetting is I don't know. I agree. You could you could say the forgetting is being on meds or something and and maybe yep. the family just didn't deal with it as upfront as they should and then they finally address it and yeah can move past it and it's important for us to remember things like that that's yeah I, I think that's a really powerful story but I feel like it's you and I having this conversation and like filling in those gaps or like that uh, angle of the story and I don't feel like the Patrick Wilson or the story does a good job of um, of like uh, yeah portraying that successfully I, I think it it's it's maybe too big or it goes half the distance and then kind of backs away and relies on like us to like kind of put the pieces together and say oh this could have been one version of it and yeah it's maybe speaking to like a parallel really interesting story about uh, yeah that that's almost like abuse in a way right and like how that can shape or like uh, yeah influence family and actually the the way you said it though uh, it makes me think was Renee gaslighting. Uh, the kids all these years and is she actually the villain 
in this storyline because she knew the whole time what had happened and she was telling everyone it's all in their heads? I think that she has no choice because if she tells Josh what happened, if she risks them finding out what happened, the whole thing's going to happen to them again. They're going to actual project again? <laughs> Is that how <laughs> yeah, she yeah. works? Well, if, you if, don't tell people what happened. <laughs> if Josh and Dalton remember that they have this ability through the movie's logic and rules, then they they the further they can establish a connection with the further again. Uh, but if they forget that they can do that, that that doesn't happen. So I, she has to do whatever she can to make sure they don't remember. I, at the end of this film, they both remember, and it's basically that's the point. Like you gotta, you can't forget this stuff. And it, I think they're making a, a, a statement there that like uh, trauma, uh, you know, relationship, mental illness stuff. You don't forget it. You remember, it, and that's how you move on successfully. Because forgetting it actually is dangerous, which is what happened here. So I think you can know, and if you know it's dangerous and like it fucked you up like this way in two movies before then I don't think any sane person would astral project again. So I, I think Renee actually kind of screwed them over in this, right? No, I disagree. I mean, she they had to work through that together, and it's a miracle that they did. People almost died. Um, she was told by the medium slash plumber, like, <laughs> they forget. Like, they, they need to forget that's the only way your family is going to be safe. Yeah, and it worked the- for 13 years. But the moral act in the end of this one is you don't forget. You got to remember this stuff. It something. is, but it doesn't make Renee the the villain because of some supernatural logic. We've gone way too deep. Where the hell are <laughs> <Okay>. we? <laughs> <laughs> All, right. All right. Well, the movie ends with uh, Josh basically, as you mentioned, reconciling with Dalton, and uh, it looks like good. Like him and Renee might be getting back together, and he uh, promises to help his son with his history homework, which I think is. Uh, a blatant attempt to show like suddenly his memory is good or something and then he runs into the ghost of elise uh that was her name right yeah from the first one yeah uh who and second one who tells him that everything is going to be okay so it's like this cheesy happy ending a terrible song kicks in that patrick wilson sings during the credits and then i believe what is the last scene like just a light flickering on over a red door yeah yep okay yeah i I missed that but apparently that's necessary yeah yeah Oh man, uh, it was funny though. That scene ended, and then the theater, like everything, was over. But then they started like retracting the screen or doing something as I was leaving, and made the exact same noise as the light flickering. And I was like, "Wait, wait what oh, the fuck's that?" No <laughs> <laughs> That's creepy. <laughs> yeah. All right. So you, uh, yeah. How, how do you feel? It seems like you're kind of positive on this film. I'm positive in in some aspects. I think there are definite weaknesses. I don't think the movie is exciting. Um, I don't think it takes us to exciting new places or does anything new. But I appreciate like that we're back with the family, as I've said. I, I won't uh, repeat myself too much. Um, I, I also think the weaknesses are Ty Simpkins as a performer. Although, granted, I'm not sure there was much for him in the script to work with. I just he's not that interesting of a character. The relationship between father and son is interesting, but him as a character, not interesting. They, they didn't really do anything to make him yeah. interesting. So I don't know how much it's Ty's fault. They made um, him pretty one-dimensional. They did. They really did. But I thought the direction was actually pretty good. I mean, 
I think any weaknesses lie with the script and the plot. But I thought Patrick Wilson did a pretty good job. I mean, the you never know how much to credit the the cinematographer or the director with the execution of the scares. But that all was handled really well. I thought the performances were all good except for Ty's. Um, again, and maybe it was good, but it was just a, a dud of a character. Yeah. I, I think my biggest complaint is that nothing particularly interesting happens as far as the further goes, as far as scares goes. I don't need to know more about the further, but I guess I wanted the stakes to be a little bit higher or something more to happen other than like, whoops, the further's coming back. No, it's not. We get we beat it. <laughs> we did it again. Yeah. yeah. That, that's essentially it. And I, I think that's the film's biggest weakness. But boy, I am a sucker for a father-son story, as I, I said before. I think they nailed that aspects, that aspect of it. And I'm not going to lie. So in, in the movie, he's he moves Dalton into his dorm room, and he hangs all these pictures on the wall that he's drawn of his family. And Josh bemoans the fact that he didn't make the wall. There are no pictures of Dad on this wall. Then when he comes back to the dorm room later, there is a picture of Dad, and it's him carrying Dalton as a little boy out of the further. And I, I got teary-eyed during that oh part. My God. <laughs> oh, oh, man, that, how do you that, fall for the cheesiness here? That touched me. Yeah. That's a touch. It's always, yeah. That's great, I, man. I, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's cheesy. It's cheesy. Yeah, yeah. But uh, if I somehow saved my son from a supernatural event and as an adult he remembers and draws a picture of it, right. I'm going to I'm going to cry. Yeah, sure. That that seems fair. It's a very very touching moment. Yeah, I I hear what you mean. Like a this is a like a father-son horror film, which actually I don't feel like you see that dynamic that often in horror films. Do you? you yeah, you don't really. And yeah. you could get into some gender dynamics there and posit that maybe it's because men aren't vulnerable enough to make a father-son story. Yeah, right. So this is the rare one To where... make them both the victims of paranormal attacks. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. So kudos on them for go- going there with this one. Um, I think, yeah, my issue there and like what limited me or my ability to appreciate that is that I didn't like the father or the son. And the characters I do like in this franchise like Renee, I feel like is barely in this film. Yeah. And Based on your explanation, I, I now I'm thinking she might be uh, to blame for some of the events that happened here. Because <laughs> she could have just told everyone, "Hey, don't astral project," and like that would have saved a lot. Or don't don't draw pictures of red doors. Uh, and uh, the, the you know Chris, I thought was a cool new character and added some like a breath of fresh air. But I hear your point. Like, yeah, she didn't feel like she belonged in this film. Uh, I don't I don't feel like I feel like she felt a little forced in. A lot of the cameos to me too from like Insidious One. And two, like the Lee one L, the the two guys, uh, paranormal detectives, and um, Elise, like uh, and Carl. Didn't you feel like they were kind of shoehorned in into this at all? I think Carl's appearance makes sense, even if it's clumsily done. Like, whoop, Josh is gone. I'm gonna go go to the grave now. <laughs> but um, yeah, it was pretty shoehorned to put Specs and Tucker in there. Like, but it also kind of makes sense. They like find a YouTube video. Of of them, and they find a YouTube video of Elise's speech, which tells them nothing new. Like, yeah, uh, exactly. at, at least Elise's portion doesn't. That was yeah. shoehorned in, but it didn't bother me too much. What did bother me was seeing Elise at the very end. It oh my god! Like, yeah, that was cheesy and unnecessary, and just felt like fan service, especially because. Yeah. 
Lynn Shay's just kind of been in a lot of horror movies. It was a little bit like, oh, let's, you know, people are going to love to see her back. So let's, I know. let's bring her back as much as we can. And yeah, I think it's time to let that go. I mean, it's right. too late now. <laughs> it's probably the last yeah. of this this storyline, but. I agree. Man, I don't yeah. think we need to keep finding ways to bring her into the movie, even <laughs> though she died two movies ago, or yeah. f- four movies ago, or whatever. Yeah, and Three. oh man, the opening of Insidious too, when like they have her voice over, right? Oh uh, yeah, they dubbed was, her voice over it. Yeah, I think over, they put uh, a. They yeah, they can really go out of their way to like bring her in, into these films. Yeah, they do. Uh, it's pretty funny. Um, yeah, I, I agree. There's nothing new here for the audience. It's just like this, this movie was so about like the characters, like discovering like what happened in part one and part two that I feel like as an audience, like you get a little bit bored watching this, Yeah. um, which, which is tough, uh, tough movie. And I don't know, man, uh, you're, you're talking about this father son dynamic. They like how many scenes do they even have like of this movie? If it was a pie chart, how many, what percentage of the film was them in the same place at the same time having a conversation? Like, I, I want to say, like, 15, less than 15%. What do you think? Yeah, that could be true, but that those interactions loom large throughout the film. Like, if you add to that pie chart time that he spends talking to Renee about Dalton, or times that he's, like, on his phone texting Dalton, or times <laughs> that Dalton's listening to a voicemail from him, or he's just bemoaning the fact and struggling with the fact that he has a bad relationship with his son. Like, yeah. that is the shadow overhanging the whole movie. You're right. There isn't much screen time between the two of them. But I don't think there has to be. You think, like, his driving force through the film is to create... A, I, I didn't get the sense, like, he was trying to be a better father. I, I thought it was, man, something's wrong with me. Yeah, it's, it's causing this fight with my son. Um, maybe I should get it checked out. And then he goes down this path of like then finding out who his father was. I feel like his actual attention wasn't so much on Dalton later on in the film, except like leaving a voicemail here and there, like, oh, I found this out. But uh, it seems like he's on his own journey. You almost have like two characters on two separate journeys. Uh, that's, that's what it felt like to me. I guess I feel like they're on the same journey in two different places. Like they're not in the same place. So there's not going to be a whole lot of interaction between the two and they're not going to talk on the phone that much because Dalton's not answering his phone which I think makes sense for any kid first year of college Um, but I think they're both on a journey to just rectify them align themselves with their past piece it all together and figure out what went wrong with their family as a whole Hmm. so part of that is Josh having to figure out himself he broke the family why did he break it what what suddenly went so wrong? Why can't he remember a year of his life? Yeah. Do you think he carries that guilt around with him that he broke the family? Yeah. You think so? Okay. I think I think that shows through in his performance. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I yeah. I yeah, I, I part of me wonders if maybe you just had one of those storylines, like either Josh and him like uncovering like what happened to his father and uh but yeah, I guess he needs a reason to go back into the further. Um yeah. That's what really interesting. It's also interesting how quickly they're able to remember how to do the whole astral projecting thing. Yeah, uh, it's like riding a kind of, bike, apparently. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, cool. A- any uh, other elements you want to mention, or do you want to jump to the rating? Let's jump to the rating. All right. Well, how many uh, people running at you in an MRI would you give this one? This is tough because after the movie, I was thinking three people running at me from an MRI. 
But then I put in parentheses, maybe like a 3.25, even though we never give quarter ratings. But yeah. now I've I've appreciated so much in this conversation, and I especially like that bit about, oh, like, this could just be a, an allegory for a family that's been torn apart by domestic violence and mental illness trying to, to you know, piece things back together after the fallout. I, I'm bumping this up to a 3.5. I, I like it better than Insidious 2, which I gave a 3. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I like Insidious 1 better, and I gave that a 3.5, but I'm a firm believer that not every movie you rate the same is exactly it's not all on the same scale yeah yeah there's yeah. there's tiny tiny little increments there for sure i know we have some discord friends who rate movies on a zero to 100 scale which oh boy i can see the appeal of but would be way too daunting yeah that would be really tough 3.5 wow man that's that's, that's generous so better than insidious 2 and on par with insidious 1 correct okay yes. Yeah. 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 That 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 good good fan. I'm glad glad you enjoyed it. Uh, I came in pretty low. Uh, I, I came in at a two. Uh, people running at you in an MRI. Uh, I think the weaknesses really outweigh this. And I would almost echo what you said. Like, uh, there's an interesting allegory here, but I don't think it's executed well at all. And um, it tries to be at moments on the nose, but it's like so. Uh, confused by like what it's trying to even say and like where that fits into the story that I, th- I think the movie just gets you more and more lost in terms of like what it's trying to do uh, how these characters relate to each other what the metaphor of the further even means and uh, yeah this movie brings nothing new to the franchise and just attempts to create some kind of meaningful buy-in or connection between its characters but I don't know man it, I, I didn't get it and if anything I felt like Renee and Josh have never been uh, more distant than they were in this film, obviously because they divorced, right? But I didn't feel like a coming together of, of those two at all. Yeah, I actually felt like they had better chemistry in this one than the other two because maybe it was because they were divorced and they were playing a couple who had kind of been torn apart. Oh, um, sure. So, yeah. yeah. I disagree, man. I, I, I think the biggest weakness is the film doesn't take the franchise to newer, exciting territory. But For it sure. wisely brings the focus back to the Lambert family and provides yeah. a touching examination of how the events of the past impacted the family over the next decade. Yeah, yeah, that's a cool angle. I'm glad they went that way. I think they didn't do a great job, though. But I'm, You I'm really want to figure out the further. Yeah, I really want, I need some answers about the further. You need and like was, a mathematical formula explaining the further. <laughs> exactly. I need some more pie charts about the further. Like, is it 100% like demons and, and uh, red doors and stuff? What, what do you, can, can you explain the red door, like what it is? Boy, yeah. I mean, no, I can't really. It's basically the door through which the lipstick demon comes into their realm, I think. So everyone um, else in the further is like outside the red door? They, they probably have different doors. Oh, Boy, okay. did you ever see the movie Little Monsters? Uh, I don't think I did. I think all the monsters, or maybe all the monsters had their own stairway or certain beds all had a stairway to the beds and then they'd go haunt the... Scare the kids in the beds. Oh, man, oh. you should see that movie. We should watch that the next time we're together. Little Monsters? All right, I'll check that, that out. That would be a fun one to review. I feel like we could do some family-friendly... Horror. Horror. Yeah. yeah. Great idea. Not I'll even sure I'd out. call that a horror movie, but it, it's horror-adjacent at least. Okay, cool. I'll check that out. That, that sounds fun. Um, hey, have you noticed in these three Insidious films, Patrick Wilson's character, He plays. I think he plays a different character in each of these films. Like, part one, it's just like a... Straight-laced dad, doesn't know what's going on. Part two, he's like this possessed 
dude, part three, he's like old and doesn't remember anything. I I feel like his his uh he's just become a different person each movie. Yeah, and you still that's some range, man. You still don't think he's a good actor? Uh, I think it's like the writing. I, th- I think the writing doesn't give him the stuff. I think he grunts a lot in this movie, which was kind of annoys me. Uh, you know what? You better call Carl just in case with that. As the grunting picks up. <laughs> the grunting, yeah. Exactly. Could be a future clog on the way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Might be that Mexican you had the night before. Uh, cool. Anything else or should we wrap this up? That's all I got, man. All right. Well, that is going to wrap up our discussion on the red door insidious part five if you enjoyed the conversation we'd love to hear from you feel free to leave uh, a review on apple podcasts and um oh man spotify and spotify you can leave a review there too yeah oh cool oh yeah or leave a review on spotify um if you want to check out some merch we got some stuff on uh amy made pop art hold on (laughs) (laughs) It's at Etsy.com. You can just Google Amy May Pop Art. You're going to find some cool art by Amy who did our logo, and you'll find a a coaster set she did with our logo on it. Awesome. Go go ahead. What's next? Cool. Uh, We're on Patreon. If you want to support our show, you can find the link to that on our website, horrormovieclub.com. You can find out what movie we're going to review next week on Facebook and Instagram. Are you on Threads yet? No, fuck threads. I don't. I don't care. Not anymore. Gonna jump no more new <laughs> social media things. You're done. All right, draw the line at uh, Instagram. Unless you think I should, then I'll do it for the podcast. Uh, I don't. Th- I don't know who's on there yet. Uh, we're also on Discord, where you can find us and other fans of the, the horror genre chatting. Uh, the link to that is also on our website. Uh, you mentioned our logo, so I guess until next time. If your art teacher is sending you to places that you're uncomfortable revisiting, uh, shit, maybe just, yeah, switch, switch your majors, do something useful with your life, and, uh, pick a career that's actually gonna get you somewhere. Ooh, boy, we're gonna get some mail about that. <laughs> you think we got a lot of art majors? <laughs> yeah, I think some angry art majors are coming for you. Oh, man. Hope They're gonna crawl ask. up into your MRI machine. Yeah, I'm gonna hide out in there. Man, Dalton, if, if our majors are like Dalton at all, I, I think I'm okay pissing off that group. Dalton's pretty, pretty boring. He actually is like kind of the opposite of an art major. Yeah, yeah. so dull. He's yeah, very exactly. dull. Yeah, 